Hey there, you're listening to the Elevated DIY Podcast with Brian Barney. So this will be episode four. Um, amazing, getting a few of these things cranked out. But I'm I'm doing this one just right before I leave to Alaska. I fly out tomorrow morning at 7.30. And, and uh, I just wanted to get another one out. I just recorded one with Lane Walter I'm going to release here today or whatever. And then I wanted to record this one. And, and uh, while I'm gone in Alaska, I'll have my wife post it up. You know, that way I can just keep doing one a week. And if I if I keep myself to that rule, I'll just I'll, I'll keep getting the information out to you guys and it you know i won't get too stagnant on it so um anyways we'll release this while i'm gone in alaska and uh then you guys can listen in so um god i just had some great news i just got off the phone um i had a meeting with uh ike eastman um over there at eastman's and uh talking about getting involved in this podcast i i kind of mentioned it uh on the second episode um that they wanted to get involved but gosh it just couldn't have gone any better um, Eastman's wants to partner on this um, podcast, but they don't really want to change anything. They want to have me continue to run it, and they just want to help me. They want to help um, with advertising and and uh, marketing. You know, they've got such a big following through magazines and social media and, and and things of that nature that they can just help market me to you know a bunch of different guys out there and help get this thing out, help get the word out that I'm doing this podcast, and then and then also. Um, advertising they've just got these relationships built with all these advertisers so it, it's just going to help grow this thing so much quicker than I can grow it on my own so it's just so exciting and they're super excited about it and and uh, like I say they they don't want to change anything it's the same podcast and it's me just learning how to put this thing out here and learning how to do it and, and uh, you know I think the one with Lane came out really good where I had a guest and interact and then I also like doing them by myself just because I I can get so much information out there to you guys and they, and I have so much knowledge to to give you know through my years of hunting the public out there so man I'm just super excited about it so um we're gonna we're gonna talk as soon as I get back from Alaska and and sign some papers and and uh they're gonna get helping me on this deal so it's just super news for me um so yeah I wanted to get out this episode and I wanted to talk I just had a article that just came out in Eastman's bow hunting journal um it was written uh consistent tens and i was a little unsure of this article when i came out with it just because it didn't give specific tips and tactics but it, it was more like a uh the mindset of a 10 percenter and a 10 percenter to me is like a 10 percent of the guys are are successful on 90 percent of the animals out there and if you notice it's those same guys that are being successful time and time again that you see and and what's the difference what are those guys doing different than other guys out there and so i i wrote this article consistent tens and i was a little unsure about it when i when i wrote it and and uh you know i went through it and I sent it out but then I got my magazine I get them boy I think I get them I don't know 30 or 45 days later after I write the article and read through it and boy that thing motivated me I was I was pumped to read it and I was really pumped at the way it came out so I think it's great information for you guys it's in the latest Eastman's bow hunting journal um but I but I wanted to talk about that on the podcast I got uh, a message today on Instagram about a guy that was uh hunting I believe it was Colorado um, 
And he was talking about how his buddy was good for about six days, but after six days, he lost his motivation. And from six to ten days, he was hard to get up in the morning, and he, you know, he didn't go as hard and didn't push as hard, and and kind of almost had given up on the hunt. And then he said, after his buddy got back, he sent him a message and said, "I wish I would have gone harder on that hunt." And and I, I I think that's a big key to success. And I think as I ask guys around, and I'm I'm. Um, fortunate enough to be friends with some really good bow hunters and then and then myself I've been really successful over the years and I don't think I do anything that special you know I I mean yeah I mean I work really hard at it and I live eat sleep and breathe bow hunting so I mean I guess I work at but I just don't feel like I I've got this special superpower I'm just a normal guy just like all you guys out there that just loves to bow hunt and then I work year-round at getting better at it and and when I'm on the hunt I put absolutely everything I can into it but I think that's the key to what makes a consistently successful bow hunter. And so um, as, I, as I talk with my buddies and friends out there that are really successful, um, you know, I ask them, I said, you know, what do you think the key is to your success? And, and it's never my shooting or it's my, it's my stalking abilities or it's, um, you know, they never answer like that. The answer I always get is persistence. And that's the same answer I give. The key to my success is persistence. You know, I um, it, it's mind power. It's setting your mind to something and then continually working towards it. And I, you know, you have failures in hunting and in bow hunting, but it's about picking yourself up there and, and getting back out there and continuing to hunt. It's that perseverance that that is the key to my success. And and uh, you know, when I'm on a, a long, hard hunt and I've got to keep my mind in it and I've got to keep hunting hard day six, day seven, day eight, you know, that's that's what's getting me to the finish line. That's what's killing those animals for me is my persistence. And, and same thing, you know, when I'm, you know, when I've got work and I've got 40 hour work weeks and I'm a weekend warrior and I burned all my vacation time hunting muleys early and now I'm into elk season or I, you know, whatever it is, late mule deer season and I'm a weekend guy. You know, I go as hard as I can go on the weekends. I'm out there every single minute of every single day that I can be out there to accomplish my goals. And, and then also, you know, it's um, you know, there's you're gonna you're gonna have to grind on a tough hunt. I mean, that's all there there is to it. Um, you know, working out helps and it helps to strengthen you mentally and it helps prepare you for the mountains and and but there. But there's nothing that's going to take away that grind. I mean, hunting public lands is tough. You're going to have to suffer a little bit, and you're going to have to embrace the grind. I use this quote in my article that I like that I I think I heard from, like, endurance runners or endurance athletes. I picked it up somewhere, but it it's get comfortable with the pain cave. You're going to have to spend some time in there. And, and it just means that, you know, like, uh, endurance runners aren't having fun all the time on these super long runs. You know, their fun comes in the... Uh, the enjoyment or not the enjoyment, but their, uh, their fun of endurance running is finishing and it's finishing their goals. And it's this sense of accomplishment when they finish this feat that's, that's extra tough and they have to push their body and push their mind through these tough times. And then to come out on top and reach the finish line and to reach the finish line by a certain time they're wanted or, or whatever their goal is, you know, that's the fun of it. That, that's what keeps drawing them back. And it's, it's looking back on that tough run where you did you know 30 40 50 miles and looking back at the hard times you had to push through to make it to the end and then it's fun and it's you know it's almost that same thing in bow hunting that uh 
it's not fun all the time, but it sure is fun when you get done and you sure forget a lot of the pain when you get done. And it's the tougher the hunt you had, um, you know, the, the more accomplished or the, the better you feel and the, the, the better the hunt is a, is a good memory to you, you know? And so, um, those, those tough hunts, it, it's, uh, it's coming out on top of them. God, I heard this saying the other day. What was that great? I'm such a, uh, uh, not for, for good sayings and good quotes. I pick them up and I should write them down and I do write them down a lot of the times, but I, um, but I'll forget them. God, what was that quote I heard the other day? Oh, that it's something about how, um, any, any man can succeed, um, when a hunt goes right. Uh, it's when a hunt stacked against you is, is when a shows a true man or something like that, something along those lines to anybody can succeed when things go right. It's when the, the, the cards are stacked against you and you come out on top, you know, that's, that's the true spirit, uh, the human spirit, or, um, to come out on top. It's such a good quote. I wish I could remember it, but that's the best I can do is try to recall pieces of it that I, that I know. But, uh, and that's the truth. It's, um, the, these tough hunts when you come out on top you know and, and and when you go through trials and tribulations and you get over a miss or a miss stock and and you keep pushing and you keep going hard and you you put on more miles than you even think you could and you you just keep in it mentally and you're up every morning before daybreak and break and you're on the vantage point and you continue looking you continue stalking continue grinding and you get to the end and you're able to harvest a nice buck it means the world to you you know nobody can take that away from you ever and that's for me that's the ultimate i i absolutely love that it's what drives me in 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 life and everything is is pushing through those trials and tribulations to to see the other side and see success so um yeah, so persistence. That's what I was talking about. If I get get my uh get my thoughts straight here, but but persistence and as I talk to these good bow hunters, they say the same exact thing. They say their key to success is persistence. They keep after it. So, you know, I think if there was one thing to take from this podcast and and one thing to take um, you know, for your next hunt, it's to continue to be persistent. Keep after them. You know, I, I've been on a, a ton of tough hunts, um, over the years. I mean, I, I talk a lot about my, my backcountry, um, mule deer hunts. I mean, those things just push me because you're in this gnarly high country and a lot of miles and, and, and it's part of the reason why I've fallen in love with these hunts. Um, over the years, I've had so many of these tough ones. I mean, it's even tough to recall I, um, you know, which ones are the toughest because they're all tough to come out on top of all these. I had to, I, ha- I had to jump over hurdles and I had to get through nasty weather and I had to, you know, and you almost got to conquer your fears with weather sometimes. I mean, for me, if you guys have read my writing and started to listen to this, you'll know the lightning scares the heck out of me. I mean that those high country mule deer hunts, it's always during the heart of lightning season and, and these lightning storms come in and you're trying to live at, you know, 12, 13,000 feet in Colorado, nine, 10,000 feet, you know, in, in Wyoming or or utah or or uh, any of these other western states i hunt and that those lightning storms when they come in are brutal so um 
you know, for me, a lot of times it's conquering my fears. It's knowing I'm going to go through these gnarly storms and I'm going to have to ride them out. And, and my biggest thing with lightning is I just play it safe. When I was younger, I didn't have much fear of it. And, and a lot of guys still don't have fear of it. I saw this guy in Wyoming that was camped on the absolute top of the ridge, this 10-6, 10-8 peak. And he was camped on the skyline up there. And I mean, one night this lightning storm, it was like strobe lights going off in the tent for a couple hours. Now the storm never got right over top of us there was a couple close ones but it wasn't that bad but um boy my anxiety would have been off the charts trying to sleep in that spot there is no way you couldn't pay me enough money to sleep in that spot where that guy was up at the top of that mountain but a lot of guys if you haven't been through these lightning storms and haven't been through the gnarliest gnar you don't really have fear of it you know and i was the same way when i was younger i used to keep uh camp on a lot of the high ridge lines and high peaks and in places like that and boy after surviving a couple gnarly lightning storms there's no way i I just I get down a little bit off the tops a thousand feet and I find a good place you know usually in a little timber patch or something like that down in a lull but I, I mean I really look at my camp spots and I want to find a place where I can ride out a storm and and sure if you have to you can camp on the ridge line and then have a lightning plan and in the middle of the night when the lightning hits, you get out of your tent and go down with your jacket and you drop down to your lightning plan into a safe spot. And I remember this one storm in Colorado and, and it was a really bad lightning year and we were hunting on a 13,000 foot peak and, and uh, I had, let's see, I think the year before I had drawn it with my buddy Dan, I took my buddy Dan in there and we killed two bucks in in two days he killed one on opener and i killed one the very next day while he was packing his deer out so we went two for two in two days all smiles two great big bucks and we were out of there and and uh, didn't even have you know it was one of the easiest hunts i've ever had i mean sure we were packed 15 miles back and living in gnarly country but we just got our stocks right got our bucks and we were out of there the next year we showed up to run the same plan and what we were doing is we were camping way up high off kind of we weren't on the ridge line but we were just off it on the highest bench and and it wasn't a bad camp spot there was no trees around or anything it was just way up high and uh so we get in there the day before opener and we hike in there the 15 miles into camp and set camp and so we climb up over top this 13 and we get on the backside and instantly we're looking at these big velvet bucks on this backside and, and all of a sudden this fog and these clouds start to roll in and it wasn't like a big gray huge thunder bomber coming in to hit you. It was just like some some fog. You're just kind of in the clouds and it started settling in and the first lightning strike was right on the 13 that we were on the edge of just boom you know right by us and just scared the shit out of you you know and so you we grabbed our packs and grabbed our stuff and we tried to make it around we had the side hill all the way around and then come down into our camp and as we're side hilling around there's lightning just shooting all around us and it's all super close like within a half mile just flash bangs flash bangs i mean spooky as all get out and finally we couldn't make it around the mountain we finally headed down off the backside, away from our camp all the way down where we're going to have to climb up this mountain again. But it was so sketchy. We just had to get off the top and we're running down and it's just booming all around us and raining like crazy. And we're running down this wide open 50 degree slope, running down this, this side hill. And we finally get in a depression and we sit and we make ourselves a plan. Okay, let's get to that timber patch down in there. And 
boom, boom, it's hitting all around us. And then finally we, we made this plan to get to this timber patch and we start heading right at it. And then all of a sudden, boom, the lightning hits this timber patch we're running to. And so it's just like, it's like, a, oh man, and Dan, he stopped at one point because we're going towards the timber patch dropping down and the lightning hits it and so we just stop in this depression and kneel down again and dan looks at me with this serious face and dan's he's hardly ever scared of anything and he asked me if i knew cpr <laughs> it's like oh man there's a you know he was scared out of his mind and so was i and uh, you know dan was the same as me for a lot of years where he didn't know what the hell i was so scared of with these lightning storms after that one he knew so we made it down we made it safe we survived and then so we had to climb all the way back up and over to camp and got into camp and set up in camp and have some dinner and instantly we can start to see the strobe lights go off again and know that another storm's coming and we're camped way up high on this bench and we just survived one of the worst lightning storms we'd ever been in now we're in camp having dinner we're exhausted from you know running off 2,000 vertical feet running back up 2,000 vertical to feet not to mention the 15 miles we had to get into camp so the strobe lights are coming off and pretty soon this lightning storm hits and we try to ride it out in our tent and then all of a sudden you can't hear from all the 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 rain and hail and stuff and boom they're starting to hit just right above us i mean they're inside a half mile they're hitting the ridge line we're on so pretty soon we we put in place our lightning plan and we're out i said damn we got to get down and so we grabbed our jackets and head down off this bench and down to a little lull of five six hundred feet down below camp and uh, man, the lightning was just hitting all around us. For half the night, we sat there huddled just uh, watching lightning hit the ridge above our camp. And we watched it hit this one peak. And I watched it hit that peak two separate times in the exact same place, you know. Uh, just super spooky. And so finally, we were able to get to bed and wake up the next morning. And, and uh, me and Dan, we made a plan to say, we got to get our camp off here. We can't survive up here with lightning storms like that. And they came in every single evening um, you know, that, that year. And we had to battle them, you know, every afternoon, evening, we had to battle lightning storms, but at least we were down off the top and in a good timber patch where we could then ride them out, you know? So man, it is not to be messed with. Uh, the other worst time I can remember with lightning is I went into this, oh, we have this gnarly, uh, mountain range here in, in Montana. And, um, High country bucks are really tough in Montana. They let us hunt the rut with a rifle, which is which is really nice opportunity. But but it also it kills a lot of our bucks, you know, and it makes our mule deer hunting where it isn't as good. And a lot of our high country mule deer hunting is rock top mountains too, where we just don't have good populations of mule deer. Either that or the elk and mule deer compete for the same food source. So we just don't have a lot of really good high population mule deer areas that are high country. But we do have a couple mountain ranges that I that I found, you know, over 10 different scouting trips uh, trying to find these high mountain bucks. I finally found a couple mountain ranges that hold them. But the problem with these mountain ranges is they are a couple of the gnarliest mountain ranges you could ever be in there. They're on the west coast of Montana. And so they get just a ton of moisture. And so the underbrush is so bad. I mean, it's 15 foot of underbrush willows that you just got to climb through. I mean, it might take you an hour, two hours to fight through a mile of brush or maybe more. I mean, you just actually, you absolutely have to climb your way through it. And it just, it, it makes it such a pain. 
but but this so it's you fight your way through all this underbrush and then you get above the underbrush and then you get above tree line and it's like a salad bar up there i mean it's it's knee high grass super green flowers all over i i mean it's so lush but it's super super cliffy i mean there there's cliffs everywhere you go i've been cliffed out in that mountain range so many times um god one time i had to drop my pack and climb down a tree on the edge of a cliff because i had been cliffed out coming down a spot i it's just a gnarly mountain range i mean i i've scared the heck out of myself in there just with the heights and the steepness i i've got one north side that i tried to climb like three or four separate times uh before i finally found a way to climb to the top of it just climb up as far as you can, get clipped out, come down, pick another route, climb as far as you can, and cl- get clipped out, and you know, do it all over again until you can finally find a chute in there. And, and I've taken a couple buddies in there, and they've told me, man, that is the gnarliest mountain range I've ever seen. You can keep that place, and I don't blame them. They're tough to kill in there. Those bucks, they find thick pieces of cover in there to to hide in too, and so it's really tough to kill a mule deer in there. And and uh but you know if if i don't draw an out-of-state mule deer tag or if i've got the time i love to go in there because it's one of those deals once you hunt that mountain range you can hunt any mountain range out there um but i anyways i was camped this one night another bad lightning storm i got into oh i camped on the ridge i was younger and i had i looked at my weather forecast and it said that lightning storms were supposed to come in the next day or the next afternoon night or whatever so the first night i thought well i'll just camp in this high mountain saddle and i'm right above the bucks and i'm right where i want to be come morning i'm right on the vantage point so i slept there and i think i just had a baby sack it was just like a quick trip like a three four day or and uh so i uh i slept in this little saddle and, and and I was sleeping that night, sound asleep, and in the very middle of the night, the first lightning strike was right over my head. I mean, one of those just flash bang so loud it feels like it's going to blow out your eardrums, which is right above your head, right there. And uh, just scared the heck out of me, and I'm up out of my bivy sack, and all of a sudden there's just that one thing of lightning, and I can kind of see it flashing in the distance, and then another one just right above me, and I thought, oh no, lightning plan, i got to get down and out of here. And, out of my bivy sack, my rain jacket on, middle of the night, cliffiest country you've ever seen, and I, I drop down into the trees in there, and I, I ride out the storm, and it's just booming all around me, and it's, it's so bad, and, and eventually it kind of wanes off, and I just think, man, I, I cannot sleep here for the night, especially if these lightning, this lightning's just gonna continue. I mean, here's a little lull in the storm, but it's gonna come again. So I I grab my tent and I grab my stuff and I pack it up. So here I am with my headlamp, middle of the night, trying to make my way down off this sketchy, gnarly ridge line that I could barely climb up in the daytime. And lightning still booming all around me. More storms came in. Uh, I made it down lower in camp, but man, I mean, after those couple times and storms and and not to mention those, there's probably 50 other storms that I've that I've sat through and sat in a good place, which are still scary. You're sitting in a good place and there's just you know, when those lightning, when you got 30 that are inside a half a mile, it, it spooks you. So anyways, that's, that's my lightning story. It's something that I've got to overcome on these backcountry mule deer hunts. And anymore, you know, I'm just, I camp in a safe spot. I, you know, I, uh, it's the 30, 30 rule. You hear lightning 30 seconds away. Um, you know, you get down and you wait for lightning to pass 30 minutes before you come back out. And I just stick to these rules nowadays. I mean, camp in a good spot. If I see lightning coming in, I drop down, I get in a good spot. I ride out the storm and, and I'm fine with that. But I know that 
on these backcountry hunts, I'm going to have to deal with lightning and I'm, I'm going to have to overcome it. And, you know, at, at times it may be scary, but you know, if you want to be successful on high country mule deer, it's something you got to endure. So there's, there's these challenges that happen and the, and lightning's mine on these high country mule deer hunts, but you know, there, there's these same fears in the backcountry, you know, whether it's grizzly bears and I've been around bears my whole life and been around grizzly bears my whole life and they just don't bother me too much. I've had some, some sketchy situations. I was, I was charged by a sow and a cub on my first day ever a hunting in Montana. Um, so, you know, I, I, I had some fear for a while at grizzly bears, but I've been around so many of them nowadays and been back in bear country and seen them and get out of their way enough to where, you know, I don't, I don't let it affect me too much or affect my hunt, but that may be a challenge for you where you're headed. You know, you may have to overcome the fear of grizzly bears or, you know, other places I hunt are rattlesnakes and I hate rattlesnakes. I've, I've been in, been in those pretty thick too, where I walk in and, you know, you're with your headlamp and you hear one rattle and then all of a sudden that makes five or six other ones rattle on the ridgeline you're on just spooky as all get out i one time i about stepped on a on a rattlesnake that was all coiled up just putting my foot down and saw it and i jumped off it and as i jump off there's a bunch of baby snakes coiled all around the mama snake like a hundred of them coiled all around the mama snake just rattlesnakes everywhere where you feel like you're stepping on landmines and uh, so you know those things can can play tricks on you too where you got to overcome fear of rattlesnakes you know or maybe it's just the backcountry in general you know when you head into the backcountry you know you're taking your life in your own hands all of a sudden you don't have a house to protect you or a car to protect you it's just not normal life i mean you're out in the mountains and, and uh the mountains don't care whether you survive or, or or not and so you have to take your life in your own hands it's one of the things i love about hunting the backcountry and i'm sure you guys do too um but it's just challenges we have to face and fear that we have to overcome on these hunts. And so that can be a lot of it. It's not just perseverance on a, on a hunt to keep hunting hard, but you've got to overcome these small fears and these hurdles through, throughout your hunt and know that you're going to be faced with these. And so, you know, I think that's a, a big part of being a top 10 percenter is, is knowing how to, how to overcome these challenges and fear. And, and I like to kind of prepare myself before season as well. And, you know, I like with the lightning thing, I know I'm going to have lightning. I, you know, maybe I'll get lucky and there won't be many storms, but I know at some point on one of the, on these backcountry hunts, I may have to deal with lightning the whole 10 days, or I may just get a couple days. And, and so I kind of prepare myself for it and know that I'm going to be facing it. And I just make myself a plan, know that I'm going to get down, know that I'm going to be safe. And, and same thing with grizzly bears, you know, you may not see any of them or you may see one every day. And uh, for bear safety, you know, I don't like to shout and let those things know I'm there. I, I like to stay out of their way and give them a wide berth. That would be my, my best strategy for them. You know, if you, it seems like if you're inside 100 yards and you shout and wave your arms, you're making that bear decide to either, you know, come check you out or run away. And, and the majority of times they're going to run away, but you're going to get those curious young boars or you're going to get a mom with cubs that def decides to defend them and comes, comes at you, you know. And so for me, I like to see them a ways off 
off and I like to keep my wind right and I give them a wide berth and just keep out of their way. And if I see them inside of 100 yards, I'm going to try to back out and move out without letting them know I'm there and get get out and, and let them have their space. I mean, that would be that would be my tip, you know, and and if they do notice you and know you're there, you know, that that's when you can start to let them know you're there and I instead of shouting and waving my arms, you know, I I I will talk to them and it, especially if they're starting to move in on me and I want to let them know that I'm a human you know hey bear hey bear I'm here <laughs> like uh reminds me of that guy that was eaten by that bear that used to talk to that talk to those bears that they made that documentary of what was his name god he was just nuts <laughs> he was in like the 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 biggest bear populations up there and he just talked to the bear in this like nice sweet voice like they weren't gonna do anything hey bear hey bear don't eat me bear uh, god what was his name that documentary god that guy was just off his rocker um not like that that's not how i talk to bears but boy oh boy that that guy was crazy and finally got himself eaten thank thank goodness his girl got out of there but man oh man that guy was out of his mind the way he'd get close to those bears and then talk to him he was what a nut but uh I won't do that, but if they are charging, I will talk to a bear and, and uh, wave my arms. Hey, bear. Hey, bear. Just let them know you're a human, you know, and let them know that, you know, you're not to be messed with as you're, as you're backing out. But, but like I say, the best plan of attack with bears is to not let them know you're there, give them a wide berth, and just stay out of their way. Um, but uh, you, you know you're going to face some, some fears on a hunt or some, some challenges on a hunt, and it's just prepare yourself for them and know how you're going to act in those situations so you know you don't got to come up with a a plan when that happens you've already thought about it you already know your plan you already know what you're supposed to do and, and that's what you follow through with and do um was it treadwell timothy treadwell timothy some, i think it was timothy treadwell that nutty bear guy oh my god that guy's out of his mind you <laughs> you could not get me up there with those huge brown bears talking to him like that but uh, anyways, that so you know, prepare yourself, get ready for the challenges you're gonna face, and and you know, and then sometimes you're gonna get challenges that you have no idea that that are even gonna come up that you have to face. You know, you prepare for the ones you know. But um, man, I mean, I you'll have every challenge thrown at you from from hunting pressure. You know, sometimes you you think there'll be nobody in a spot, or yeah, I've had weird ones too, like that that missions mountain range I was telling you guys about, or I didn't, I didn't name the mountain range, but now I have. So missions is where it's at, but it's, it's doesn't seem like that big of a mountain range, but man, you go up there, you got to earn the bucks. Look out. Like I say, the underbrush and the cliffs and that. And, uh, so hunting this mountain range one year, Oh, I didn't draw an out of state mule deer tag. And so, you know, this was my only option for hunting high country mule deer. So, you know, I planned to take my vacation just like I would anywhere else. I think I took eight or 10 days and, and planned this hunt in there. And, and for some reason, my buddy Dan had to work at the beginning of it. So I was going to go in by myself and I was going to make this big loop around up over this drainage. And then I'd meet him halfway through the hunt and then we'd finish the hunt together. And uh, man, what a brutal hunt. I mean, we got in there or I got in there by myself, climbed to the top of the mountain and I had this spot where I wanted to sleep and I've slept there before, but man, I mean, it's right on the tippy top of the mountain. Um, you know, right on a spine of this ridge line off the backside, the exact place I'm telling you not to sleep for lightning. That's where it's at. But this is in my younger days. 
gosh, I, I just hadn't had that crap scared out of me good enough with lightning yet. And so I was going to camp on the top of this mountain with this uh, sweet vantage point up there. And so it's kind of in the rocks, but there's a good flat spot. And, and uh, so I get up there the first night and glass around. I can't even remember. I think I saw a few mule deer. And I definitely scouted mule deer in there. So I had been up there that year looking at some pretty good bucks. And as I go to sleep, I start hearing stuff coming around this rocky trail to my tent first, you know. My mind starts to go, shit, is that, a, is that a mountain lion or what is that coming at me? And so here I am in my tent and I'm, I'm yelling, hey, kitty, get out of here, you know, and I yell and I hear it scatter. And so pretty soon I figure out it's this dang rock pikas. And for half the night, these things are just attacking me. They're coming in to check out my tent in the dark. And they're, they're chewing on my tent. They're chewing on the straps of my tent and stuff. And I've got my bow outside with my pack. And and uh, so I fall asleep for a little bit. And then I hear one of those suckers chewing on something. And I kick the back of my tent. And they'd scatter off and run off. And um, you know, Like I say, I didn't get to sleep till midnight, 1 o'clock, just from these things chewing on me. I finally must have just passed out. I was so tired. And I woke up in the morning. And these things had chewed the straps on my tent. They had chewed one of my lift straps on my pack which, you know, I had to fix or with a long strap or whatever. And then uh, and then on my bow, they ate my rest cord in half. So the cord that lifts up my rest, they ate it in half. And, and then they chewed on my, um, uh, oh, uh, my, Jesus, I'm at a loss. I can't believe I can't think of this. But the, the pull on the back of your arrow, your, um, your, your knocking loop back there, your string loop. Gosh, I don't know why I can't think of that. My brain's not working here. But uh, my string loop, yeah, they ate through half of that thing. So I wake up in the morning. I have got a non-functional bow, and I've got all my stuff back here for eight or ten days, and I'm packed way on the backside of this ridge from where the truck is. And uh, so these rock pikas, they ate it up. And so in the morning, yeah, I had to... Gosh, what I tied like a, a steelhead or something. I fished steelhead a bunch, and I I had this knot, and so I was able to tie my rest cord together. I think I replaced the cord to the rest, and then the the part that was in between my string, I connected that with a knot, made sure it was lifting my rest up, you know, the same, um, and falling away like it should. And then I think on my string loop, I think I replaced it. I had some extra cordage and replaced my string loop, and I had it tied in with a little um a little cordage there um uh serving i had it geez my brain won't work but i had it i had my my knocking point tied in with some serving and then i had my string loop around around that and so when i undid my string loop you know the the knock still knocked in between that serving and the right spot so that never changed and so i had to do some backcountry bow repairs there and then um, I sacrificed one arrow. I'd brought a field point in, so unscrewed one of my broadheads, stuck in a, a field point, found a nice patch of dirt, and shot it in there. And of course, I just hit a rock in that patch of dirt, ruined the arrow. But the arrow hit where it was supposed to, so I knew my bow was on. And, and uh, so I continued to hunt there and, and uh, met my buddy Dan. Oh, and the, I, I think I put this in the article, but the, the mosquitoes were absolutely evil. I mean, it was the first week of September and never in the high country, you know, sometimes scouting or, or, or whatever you'll find mosquitoes. But this first week of September, they were just so thick. They were all over. And of course, I didn't bring any bug spray or anything. And so, 
you know, and it's fairly warm throughout the day to where you can't wear a bunch of layers, but I'd wear a long sleeve shirt and a short sleeve shirt, but I, we just got absolutely eaten alive in there. I met Dan and we hunted for another three, four days. I located some bucks a long ways off. And so I was able to meet my buddy, Dan. He found where my camp was, which was just a miracle because it was way in the heck back in there. And, uh, so I, I found Dan and, and, uh, we started, we kept hunting for these bucks and we found some pretty good bucks in there. And, and, uh, the mosquitoes just ate us alive. I remember at one point my buddy Dan took off his, his shirt or whatever. And he, it just looked like, uh, it was all bumps. His whole back was all bumps and he had a long sleeve shirt, but those mosquitoes were going right through it. And same thing for me. I was just eating alive. I mean, eating all over your hands, on your face. And anytime you're glassing, you got your glass up and then pretty soon you just, just right in your ear, just constantly these mosquitoes and, and, uh, man, they just wouldn't let up. I mean, it just felt good at night to get inside your tent where the mosquitoes couldn't get you. And, uh, so, so we kept hunting and like I say, we had some good bucks that we had located and, and, uh, so we hunted and hunted hard and made some stocks. And, and finally, I think day eight, um, we had this basin that we called trail basin. It had this main trail in it and this buck bedded kind of just off this trail. So we made a plan where, um, you know, Dan was going to sit on the escape route of this buck and I was going to hunt him in his bed. We could see him and he was by himself and he was a really nice, uh, 180 inch typical, uh, still in full velvet. So I made the play on the buck and just crept in ultra silent. And it's all the way across the draw. And it's another one of those deals where, um, if you've ever spot and stalked, it, it looks way different from where you glassed at to when you get over there. And same thing here. We had trees mark and I had an old log and I had all this stuff. Then you get over there, you don't even know if you're in the right spot, especially in this mountain range, the missions. I mean, there's just so many patches of trees and so thick that it's really tough to tell you're in the same spot. It's not like you're just looking at one little group of trees and there's the buck. It's this whole hillside of, of trees and grass and, and character and features. But I finally got to the right spot, knew I was to the right spot, could see the log. And I thought I was going to have to creep by the log and down into this other spot to be able to shoot the buck. But when I got to the log, I could see the buck and he was bedded there and he was 55 yards, I think, or somewhere right in there. I'm trying to uh, remember exactly, but he was 50 some yards in there. So I set up, arrow knocked, and I just had to wait and wait and wait. And that buck just stayed bedded. And then, and then finally the buck stood up, no idea I was there and boy, able to put just a perfect lung shot on him. And, and, uh, he took maybe five bounds and then that buck tumbled down that steep, cliffy, gnarly side hill. Like I've never seen, he tore up all his bell. It's one of the coolest harvest photos just because there's hardly any velvet left on his horns and they're all bloody up. But he fell down off these cliffs and started rolling down and wedged himself in this trees. And if, if my buddy Dan wasn't there with me, I never would have been able to get this buck unwedged. I mean, it was like a 50, 60 degree slope straight down into these trees. And, and, uh, with Dan's help, I was able to wrestle him out of there. But, but you talk about a tough hunt challenges holy cow that was uh that, that was a tough one for sure i'll always remember that hunt remember my buddy dan helping me pack out that deer and keeping with me i mean it's always 
when you're with a buddy, you definitely want both of you to have success, you know. But but we just split off. I mean, Dan's been successful on hunts that I'm not, and and I've been successful on hunts that Dan's not. And we kind of have our system and share stocks and try to be fair with each other on on big next level bucks. And and that one just happened to be my turn in there and and able to make a stock on that buck and shoot him. And I think if I went to shot him, I think he would have came right for Dan's exit, right where Dan was set up, right out that trail exit right there. But uh, um. Sometimes it's the challenges you can't see, like rock pikas eating your bow in the middle of the night. <laughs> I mean, who would ever think? Or, uh, or, or like I say, evil mosquitoes when you don't plan for it. Uh, uh, you don't bring any bug spray, and they just eat you alive day after day after day. Um, so you know, sometimes you just gotta toughen up and roll with the punches, and and uh, you know, make it through these tough hunts. You know, but uh, um, you just you just always gotta grind on these hunts. Um, you, you always gotta, you gotta find your motivation, you know, and, and what is your motivation and, and not that success is everything, but we go in the mountains to be successful on our target animals. At least I do. I train for it year round and, and, uh, every arrow I shoot 365 days a year, probably not every day, but I don't miss very many. I probably only miss, you know, the days I'm in the field or scouting or, you know, if, if, I mean, maybe a day here or there, but I pretty much shoot every single day, and not a not a pile of arrows or anything, but I shoot good arrows every single day, and I I just work really hard at being successful. Along with that, I'm I'm always trail running, I'm eating right, I I'm I'm always scouting, I'm just always thinking about the mountains and being successful, and it's you know it's this challenge that drives me, and it drives me to be a better person, and and uh, drives me to continually improve and get better, and. And, uh, so I, I mean, it's, it's just what I love to do. And so I'm, I'm always working towards success. So when I get to that 10 day backpack hunt, or even if I'm a weekend warrior, when I get to that hunt, my goal is to arrow the animal I'm after. That's, that's what I'm going for. And so, um, you know, when I, when I get on these, these tough hunts and, and get grinding, you got to find your, your motivation. And when I, when I have all this in all this preparation into this hunt, and I, I thought about it all year long and I can't wait for these days in the wilderness. You know, the last thing I'm going to do is give in early, you know, and, and uh, I, I'm going to give it everything I got for every day I got in there because I, I know, you know, if you go home early and you're sitting on the couch because you came home early, you know, the only thing you can think about is being back in the mountains and you kick yourself, you know, and it, it's uh, if I put everything into a hunt and I'm not successful you know, I can go home and I, I don't beat myself up over it. But if I gave in early or didn't give it all I had or, you know, gosh, I mean, if I didn't go for a stock that I had a long ways off off a good buck, it'll haunt me for an entire year. And so that's that's part of the motivation I find in the mountains or part of what drives me is I don't want any regret. I want to put everything into it and know that I put everything into it. I mean, I prepared for a year. I'm going to try to arrow that critter I'm after. And so you, you got to find your motivation. I find motivation in that um you know i also find motivation in, in in just in you guys that that uh follow me on social media or my buddies that i know you know i um people that i write to in the magazine and and here i preach this stuff on the magazine and, and on this podcast and in different different platforms and it, if i don't follow through and and be who i say i am you know you um you know who are you <laughs> so i mean i I just hold myself to a high standard and I don't want to let anybody down out there. And if I tell you guys I'm hunting hard, I want to be out there hunting hard. I want to do what I say I do. 
um, you know, constantly. And so I kind of live up to, you know, and it's not you guys putting these expectations on me. It's it's me putting these expectations on myself. If I'm going to be a writer and, and I'm going to tell you guys how to be successful on public land, well, by God, I better be doing what I'm saying. And so, you know, that makes me on those tough days, day eight, day nine, day 10, you know, I'm not going to give in. I'm going to keep pushing because I've told you guys that's what you need to do. You need to keep pushing. And so I, I try to just hold myself to that high standard. And so I get a lot of motivation just from writing and talking to you guys and letting you guys know how I feel. And, and uh, you know, I also get motivation from my family. Um, my, my wife and, and kids support me in, in absolutely everything I do. And they know that it's my passion, this backcountry bow hunting. And, and I work year-round uh, to be the best father and husband I can be. But come hunting season, you know, they let me just cut loose and go chase my dreams and chase these animals. And I just got a, a super supportive family. But you know, as, I, as I'm out on these things, they've sacrificed to give me these days out to hunt. The last thing I want to do is is come home and not give it everything I got or be able to come home and tell my wife, well, I came home early. I, yeah, I was tired or I was worn out. I just, so I use a lot of that for motivation. My family sacrificing for me to, to have these days to hunt. My, you know, my, my workers are covering for me to have these days off of work. You know, I, I got to give it everything I got. How can I come back and tell them that I, that I half-assed a hunt? And so, you know, I find motivation in that. Um, you know, and it, it's not the worst thing in the world to be unsuccessful to me. The The worst thing in the world is to not give it everything I have. Like I say, if I've gone and given it everything I have on a hunt, you know, I can sleep easy at night and I can feel good about the hunt. Um, so I, I think that's just important to, you know, never have any regrets on a hunt to put absolutely everything into it. And, and, and part of what allows you to put everything into it is, is, is drawing from past experiences. And, you know, there, you can take experiences from your last hunt or from, from even the hunt you're on right now. And if you drive hard to the end, you know, and it's amazing what happens on the end of these hunts. You can, I mean, I can, I can all, I always keep the faith. I always think that if I just get that one opportunity, I can arrow a buck. But if I'm being totally honest, by the time I get to those end days, I haven't given up. I'm still going to go hard. I'm still going to give it everything I have. So I have no regrets. But you start to get some doubt to where it's like, well, maybe this isn't going to happen. You know, maybe I can continue to hunt hard for these next couple days or even take two more days after the hunt. And it still might not happen. You know, and so you, this this doubt starts to creep in your mind and you want to try to keep that out as much as you can. But I think it's inevitable, too, you know, that you start to realize that, you know, I've hunted for eight days really hard and I got two days left and I have to be back. I've told everybody I'm going to be back and it may not happen. But it, it's amazing that if you keep pushing hard, I can't tell you how many times I've had a hunt come together in in the last couple days or the, the last hunt even, the last morning, the last evening, you know. So so you just got to keep pushing hard. And it's, a, it's amazing how you just create your own luck. You just continue pushing hard and you may have not had w one good opportunity the whole hunt. And all of a sudden you, you get your opportunity and you arrow a nice buck and that ends the hunt. And I, I mean, what a great feeling towards the end of a hunt to to push so hard and then to come out on top and, and kill your harvest animal. There's, there's no better for me. There's no better feeling on earth. I just absolutely love it. Um, so, so find your, find your motivation in the Hills, um, to keep driving hard. And remember it can, it can happen in the end. Um, so, you know, you just, you, you keep pushing, keep looking for an opportunity, keep looking for a chance, you know, and, and, and that, you know, a, a lot of that is keeping your mood right throughout the hunt. And it's tough. It's easy. 
you know, your your mood will start to change on you, you know, and you'll start to get down and think, what in the heck am I doing back here? I should be back with my family or I should be back here at work taking care of anything. But just remember, you've taken those days off work. You prepared your family for it. You, you keep out there and keep hunting. And it's it's what you love to do. I mean, it's tough while we're doing it, but you're going to get home and be wishing you were back in the mountains. So you might as well just give it all you got for the days you got. Um so, you know, and another thing with your mood and what I always have with my buddies is all of a sudden it 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 begins to turn into a joke like uh like the mosquito thing or enduring this torture of the, of the hunt or you know, uh, enduring these tough times. It almost begins to become such a somewhat of a joke and and even if I'm by myself, but but mostly when I'm with buddies, you know, all of a sudden you'll just start to make a joke out of everything, you know, uh, uh your misfortune or uh, boy, these mosquitoes are awesome, or whatever it is. But I, laughter is a super powerful tool, and I have gone through some really tough times with buddies, and, and you're laughing all the time. Oh, that reminds me. I told you guys I like quotes so much, so I picked this one up the other day, or I picked this up somewhere. Um, that the mind is a powerful tool. It can it can turn hell into heaven or heaven into hell. I think that's a, a really powerful quote that, that your mind controls everything. Your mind can change the situation you're in into a good situation, into enjoying and during this hunt. So I, I think it's important to to realize you have that that tool and tap into it. And so with your buddies, you make a joke out of it, you know, and, and keep the mood light and keep having fun in there, you know, no matter what, what you guys are going through and, and what, what challenges are thrown at you, you know, just keep comedy and involved. Um, so gosh, I'm just reading through, I actually made notes for this podcast, which is great. I just, uh, keep me on track and make sure I talk about what I want to talk about. So you guys better watch out. I'm getting more and more organized as this thing goes, but I, I do, I just want to keep improving this thing and make sure I get out the information. And I, I like doing these solo ones, but at the same time, it's, it's kind of hard to collect your thoughts because you're constantly talking in this, this flow of talk. So you, you don't really have a chance to stop and then collect your thoughts and then go back at it. And so I just took a, a bunch of notes in here just to make sure that I, that I didn't forget anything. Um, I talked about weather and, and great. Oh, pressure, hunting pressure. That's a big one. So I just, um, I just dealt with this on, on my Wyoming backcountry hunt where, you know, I ran into a little bit more pressure than I wanted in there. And it, it's just a part of the nature of the beast uh, hunting this public lands nowadays is that there's other guys out there working hard that want these critters, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's a good thing. There's more people enjoying it, but it's sure not what you want to see on a backcountry hunt. I mean, the dream backcountry hunt or the dream hunt is where you go in there and you find a bunch of critters, whether it's elk or deer, whatever you're hunting and, and there's no people in there and those places exist. And I, I find them constantly. In fact, most of the time that is what I find, you know, even in high pressure areas, um, I find that where the animals are is not where the hunting pressure is, you know, that these animals figure out how to, how to get away from this pressure and that's where they live and reside. And, and so you can always get away from the pressure and same thing with the backcountry hunt, but just don't let it ruin your hunt. You know, these, everybody's trying to enjoy the same things and, and there's always another basin to go walk. There's another place to go. So, so when I run into pressure, 
you know, if it's a really good spot and there's pressure in there, then I'll, I'll choose to hunt it for a day or two. And what I like to do is I like to grab the best vantage point in there. And I like to just look over the country and I like to see what's going on. And I'm, I'm not going to chase a deer or an elk that people are on. I'm going to let them have that. And I'm just going to watch and I'm going to observe. And and a lot of times what you'll find is having the best vantage point, you know, that guys may be diving in, but um, having the best vantage point is going to show you where the animals are. And a lot of times you'll see animals that put away or go someplace that nobody's hunting. And, and that's that's where you go for them and where you get in and see if you can make something happen. And and, and also you can kind of keep tabs on everybody and, and where they're going and, and what they're doing. And, and, and so grab the best vantage point in there and sit. And also a lot of times with hunting pressure, I can endure more than they can. You know, they may only stay in a couple days and hunt. And if I stay in for four or five days, pretty soon I've got this basin all to myself and, and the animals relax again and, and then I can go back to hunting. And, and, and with pressure, I'm not afraid to, to move camp or, or move my hunting spot either. And, and so, you know, if getting the, the master vantage or if there's too many people in there, it just doesn't seem like it's going to work out. You know, I'll grab my stuff and I'll take off on a ridge and I'll keep moving. I'll go find my own deer to play with or my own elk to play with. And, and a lot of times it doesn't take that far to get out of the pressure. You know, you, you just, uh, you, you keep moving, you find a different spot, keep looking for critters. And so that's another way to, uh, to avoid the pressure. Um, it's, it's just to move on and find different areas, but, but just don't let it ruin your hunt. You gotta, uh, adapt, evolve and overcome whatever challenges come your way. And that's, you know, whether you're dealing with the weather, whether you're, you're, you're dealing with hunting pressure, whether, you know, whatever it is you're dealing with, you just, you just focus on the solution and not the problem. You know, it's like, um, whatever, whatever's thrown your way, how can I solve this? Well, how can I get, how can I, how can I make this situation better? You know, instead of focusing on, oh, this, this sucks. There's a bunch of guys in here. You know, you, you say, okay, well, how can I get away from this pressure? You know, sometimes you can even use the guys to your benefit, you know, um, uh, where they pressure animals is, is where you go next. Or if you're getting on the escape routes or, you know, there, there's ways to go about it where you can use the pressure too. But, but just try to be a glass half full type of guy where where you're just always thinking about the solution and you're never getting down on the hunt and never never letting it beat you so um but anyways you guys are probably headed out to the field hopefully uh headed out for some elk maybe still some mule deer uh like say i'm leaving in the morning for alaska man i am just super pumped i'm gonna put everything into this this is my one chance for one of those huge alaskan moose you know with with um, or a caribou. I've never hunted a caribou either. Never been to Alaska, never hunted moose, never hunted caribou. And so I just can't wait to cut myself loose there in the, in the bush and see what I can do on this float trip. So, uh, I'm going to get the rest of my stuff here. I, I'm all packed up, but, uh, I got to put my bow in my case and, and, uh, make sure I got my tickets all set out and ready to, to rock and roll. But, um, you guys keep after them and, and, uh, put these tips in play this year and let me know if it, if it helps you out. You know, I'm sure it will on these tough hunts. You, you just keep after it. And, and, uh, there's a, there's a reason why 10% of the people harvest 90% of the game, you know, and, and a lot of it is, is perseverance and a good attitude and keeping after it. So, 
that wraps up. I think we'll call this the, the fourth episode, and I'll have my wife release this. So when you guys hear this, I'll be deep in the bush, hopefully trying to trying to arrow a, a big moose. And, and uh, again, I just want to thank Eastman for getting involved on this podcast again. I just really believe they put out one of the best magazines out there, and it's it's always been a dream for me to, to write for him. I mean, um, years ago I used to to run to my mailbox and I used to read the, the Eastman's articles and read about Cameron Haynes and try to learn from him and what he's doing. And, and, and through that, you know, I've, I've learned my own route through, through the industry and I, I've been able to find my own success and, and adapt my own techniques to, to what I like to do, you know, and, and, uh, through that, you know, I share with you guys and I don't hold back any secrets and, and really in these articles, I pour my heart and soul in these things. I mean, I, I give away, I don't hold back any secrets i just give away all the knowledge i gain hunting public land any tip that i pick up i pass on to you guys and and give to you guys through these articles and and so i just put everything into them and i try really hard for them to be non-generic you know not something that you read in every hunting magazine and 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 right along with that i know dan picard is another staff writer in there and and uh I, i he is just a great guy and a great hunter and super successful and he does the same thing um i find myself reading reading his articles and picking up tips and so um i just couldn't work for a better company in eastman's and i i'm just so stoked they're gonna get involved in this podcast and and team up with me and support me on this deal so um any anyways i just want to thank them again and thank you guys for for tuning in and and i'm gonna put out i'm gonna do a couple of these podcasts while i'm in the bush of alaska and and record them with my buddies up there and, and let you know how things are going so um i'll release those just as soon as i get back so um thanks again for checking it out guys